Be Rad podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, now offered on Amazon. Chili technology, temperature-controlled mattress systems for a good night's sleep. InsideTracker.com, offering blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one place. And Organifi, whole food organic superfood supplements and drink blends. And please visit the shopping page at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts for listeners. Here we go with the show. Taking tobacco marketing techniques and applying them to sugar for children. It's the reason why juice boxes are the same shape and colors as packs of cigarettes. It's the same marketing. A lot of people don't know they have cravings because they've had them since they were small children. These vicious people at the food industry are, they will put 50% sugar in baby formula. Oh, my skin rash happens after I eat processed foods. My feet hurt after I eat processed foods. My knees are killing me. I eat processed foods yesterday. Once you get those associations and it hurts, you start to associate the substances with pain. I want to tell you about Inside Tracker, an awesome new ultra personalized nutrition and lifestyle program that combines data from your comprehensive blood panels, genetic test results, and lifestyle and fitness data from a Fitbit, for example, and organizes everything into one super cool online portal of your personal health. I am just getting going with this, and it's awesome. It has everything in one spot. For every blood result, you can click on a blog post or watch a video to learn more about these values. It's a great education in general health and self-quantification, and it was developed by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometric data from MIT, Tufts, and Harvard. The patented inside tracker algorithm calculates your so-called inner age, and it shows each biomarker as either optimized, needs to improve, or at risk. And then you can take precise corrective action with a science-backed plan to reach your performance goals. Oh, mercy, people. On my first round of testing, guess what my inner age was? 62! Shocker! Because I just turned 56. I'm sorry. You know what? When I delivered that blood test, I believe I was a little overtired, and several of my biomarkers were deemed to be subpar. So I made some changes as directed. I recovered better, rested, went back, and delivered way better numbers at the next blood test. The Insight Tracker motto is change is an inside job and that is for real you got to keep tabs on this stuff to be at your best and they have an amazing deal just for brad podcast listeners they are going to give away a grand prize of fifteen hundred dollars in inside tracker value so to enter all you have to do is go to insidetracker.com slash Brad Pod, B R A D P O D. Check it out right now at the link and enter the contest. Hey, listeners, welcome to the B Rad Podcast and my introduction to a very interesting and powerful show 
with Dr. Joan Ifland. She is a leading expert on food addiction, and she is the leading author and editor of the textbook Processed Food Addiction, Foundations, Assessment, and Recovery. And let me say, here on the show, we have a lot of fun shows, exciting shows. Brad talks about his morning routine and jumping in the cold water. Oh, it's awesome. And then we have some heavy shows that you really have to slow down and reflect and see how it can influence your life. And this is one of the heavy ones. You're going to get hit hard with some sobering realizations relating to the industry approach to food addiction, how the tobacco industry has used the same principles that they use to get people hooked on smoking, turn their attention back in the 80s to getting people hooked on processed foods. And during this show, there's going to be a lot of practical takeaways. One of them is a quiz consisting of 11 questions that you can also find on her website, processfoodaddiction.com. But these are 11 questions to determine whether you yourself, listener, have a food addiction. And guess what? It's a preloaded quiz because for the most part, we are all going to get loaded with three yeses before we even take the quiz. Three of these things on the list, pretty much everyone does. And if you answer six out of 11 uh, affirmative, you most likely, very likely, have a food addiction. <sighs> so we're going to find out what to do about it. We're going to find out why the brain is wired in this way and what happens when we introduce these heavily processed foods that have truly addictive properties. Uh, I love this quote in the middle of the show where she says, look, uh, it's a competition between your frontal lobe and the addictive reward area of the brain. And the frontal lobe comprises only 2% of the brain. The other 98% is this primitive brain that is easily susceptible to addiction. So if you already know which foods are healthy and which aren't, this show will help get you over that edge to really reflect on your behavior and make some positive changes. There's all kinds of wonderful tidbits in here. Can we enjoy life a little bit and have the occasional treat? Or is it swearing things off forever? Is Brad addicted to his wonderful, healthy, dark chocolate, 85% and above cacao content, sourced from bean to bar, from around the world, the very best? Hmm, I don't know. Can you be addicted to positive, healthy foods? We're going to find out all that and more from Dr. Joan Ifland. And if you want to cut to the chase right now, go to processfoodaddiction.com and take the food addiction quiz that's sitting there on the homepage. You're also going to hear the questions enumerated during the interview. Oh, here we go. Dr. Joan's going to rock it. Dr. Joan Ifland, the leading expert on addiction to processed food. What a fantastic topic to discuss because I think it's lurking in the background of all of our efforts to uh, clean up our diet and, and start eating healthy and drop excess body fat and, and meet all these wonderful goals. So uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for joining us. You're the author of a book called Processed Food Addiction, Foundations, Assessment, and Recovery. And I can't wait to get into this with you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, your background is interesting, and I want you to just kind of get us to um, uh, get us to up to speed here. Uh, interestingly, that MBA from Stanford is thrown in there like, wait a second. Um, how did you blend your passion for for science and nutrition uh, with the, uh, you know, the more um, uh, entrepreneurial type of track at Stanford? Yeah. Um... 
I, I, I do have it. I'm pretty sure it's a unique background. My undergraduate degree is from Oberlin College, and it's in economics and political science. And then I went to work for two years as a fiscal analyst in a state legislature. Didn't like government, and so switched over to business. Spent two years at the business school, and then five and a half years doing financial uh, management work for a Fortune 200 corporation. Great, all good. And then uh, fast forward like into my mid forties and I'm too sick to go back to work. I've had two kids, I'm constantly sneezing, I'm exhausted and I just think, well, it must be related to having two kids, <laughs> two kids in two years. No, I come uh, January of uh, 1996, a friend of mine who I'd been doing a lot of work on anger management. I was, I was an angry person. I was raised by two angry people, and it was traumatic. I didn't want to raise my daughters that way, and yet I kept erupting and yo-yo dieting. So mm. you think things are not related. They are very related. January 1996, I get off of Sugars and Flowers. It's my next diet. And I stop raging. I stop being angry. I stop the allergies. I stop the sinus infection. I stop the bloating and the brain fog and the cravings. And, and then in about the third week of just eliminating sugars and flowers, it occurred to me I hadn't yelled at anybody in those three weeks. And that's what got me hooked on a new career. I wrote a popular book about how to do this. And I started going around giving talks about it. A big TV station almost got me on. And then the last producer said, but you don't have a degree in your field. You have this MBA. And I said, well, I'll go get one. Mm. I grew up in Cincinnati. I grew up the daughter of a biochemist who was also a corporate executive and a, a commander in the Naval Reserve. <laughs> so, a lot of leadership there. And um, there's a school in Cincinnati called Union Institute and University, and it's all set up for people who want to earn a degree in a new field. So I went there. I motored through in three years in uh, addictive nutrition. And then I started really thinking about business practices. And this is where that MBA came in so handy. Because I, as soon as I put down my, as soon as I finished my degree work, I picked out a book. I just knew instinctively that this had something to do with tobacco. Picked up an incredible book by Alan Brandt at Harvard called Cigarette Century. And he just describes methodically the business practices of the tobacco industry and they were the same as the processed food industry. And I just like, okay, we know at Marion Nestle's food politics, she goes over this in detail. The tobacco companies bought Kraft, Nabisco, and General Foods in the space of three years in the mid-1980s. And they brought with them, and I have published a paper on this topic, the addiction business model. Oof. It's the five A's, the five A's. It's hide addictive substances in the product, 
like they hid nicotine in cigarettes and then they came along and they hid tons of sugar fat salt in processed foods advertise the heck out of it you see saturday morning cartoon commercial advertising going already from 150 commercials per morning to over uh, 500 in the space of seven years after they come in number three young age of onset attack the children. So just like they tried to do the Joe Camel cartoon campaign with 10-year-old boys, they just went after children's cartoons. And I know everybody I talk to can remember a childhood cartoon for some kind of favorite food. I remember one uh, for a, a product that my mother didn't buy. I spent a lot of my childhood wondering what that product tastes like. It was a cracker. So then you have availability and affordability. You want it to be everywhere. You want people to be able to reach out and pick it up. Uh, and that was high fructose corn syrup coming in, driving down the cost of sweeteners. And then they, they knew that they could make this, this product cheap enough that people could buy it often enough just like they didn't, cigarettes didn't really become an epidemic until they had the rolling machine. And when cigarettes didn't have to be hand rolled, when they could be rolled by machines, the cost came way down. And then you can addict millions of people. Two thirds of American Americans smoked. And now two thirds of Americans are overweight or obese. Same business model. They were taken out and then for availability, they were taken out the cigarette machines and they were putting in the snack and soda machines. Well, I guess they saw the future coming. The legislation, the anti-smoking movement was, was not going to go away. So they had to change course and, and go buy some major food companies. That's kind of scary. Well, and at the same time, you know, government's coming down on them so hard, finally, for the cigarettes. And there's the government promoting. You look at the food pyramid, your first question is going to be, how did... How did the bottom row get to be all addictive substances? <laughs> Flour, gluten, sugar. Well, it's because there was a corrupt administrator of the Dietary Guidelines Committee um, from a nutritionist from Harvard who was taking money from the sugar industry. Mm-hmm. So not only do you have the government coming down on you so hard, goodness, they're promoting your addictive substance. Those executives must have been dancing in the hallways. I find having a a conversation about this is a little challenging even here in 2021 because the programming has been so successful and I'll get pushed back from people that uh, just can't seem to fathom that the great ivy covered walls of Harvard University has the potential for corruption uh, or the US government uh, dietary guidelines committee that's making the pyramid and, uh, you know, information coming out now that they basically took bribes and did all kinds of backroom maneuvering. Uh, it, it's just, you know, it, it's just hard to, hard to fathom and hard to uh, advance that argument. Great, great book about it. It's called The Big Fat Lie mm. by Nina Tullett-Tultz. And she's a, a reporter to returned advocate. And she just, just details it. It was a, a guy named Mark Hegstead. He was a nutritionist at Harvard. He wrote the paper uh, identifying fat as the culprit in heart disease rather than sugar. And we now know that sugar is the culprit in heart disease. Yeah. 
it's it's just it's a playbook. It's a strategy. We have this very very difficult to read, I mean, just because it's it hurts so much. There's a paper uh, in the depository at University of California, San Francisco. The tobacco companies were required as part of their settlements to put about 40,000 internal documents in that depository. And they've discovered a chilling description of taking tobacco marketing techniques and applying them to sugar for children. So lots of logoed items. You have toys in the house that have the uh, Hawaiian punch, punchy logo on them. Like we used to have a, a Marlboro logoed lighter for our cigarettes. And uh, it's the reason why juice boxes are the same shape and colors as packs of cigarettes. It's the same marketing. Just transferred to children. It's really out of all the things that are just hard, hard, hard to get your brain wrapped around is the idea that you would alter children's brain function in order to get them to crave and nag their parents for these products. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it would be hard to play devil's advocate here for a moment, but I'm wondering, really, uh, how do these people sleep at night? Do they have some nice rationalizations where they're saying, look, kids burn a lot of energy off, so they need to consume sugar? Or you know, what do they stand by when they're challenged? Because I'm sure they've absorbed some blows over the years from people like you and the other advocates. And what's the comeback that you typically they hear? Deny, they're just in denial. So there are two quotes that really illustrate, I think, the thinking of these executives. One is from a book called Cigarette Papers. And an executive is quoted as saying, I would rather have a shorter life with the pleasure of a cigarette mm -hmm than a longer one without. Oh, that's an addict. That's addict thinking. I would rather have my substance than have a great life. That's just addict thinking. And then the other one is from Sugar, Fat, Salt by Michael Moss, a new book. And um, he, he's, he, I mean, it's shocking, but he kind of defended the food industry. It's like, what? Um, he said that they were uh, making it they, they felt like they were making the food fun. Mm. Well, I know that's not true. I happen to know, I've only met him once, but he's been on national TV with us. I don't remember his first name, but his last name is Lee, Dr. Lee. He's been on television saying this, so I'm not sharing anything out of school. He was the director of research for one of the big food manufacturers. I gave a talk to the American College of Nutrition at one point. He came up to me afterwards and said, you're spot on. I had three scientists on my research staff whose sole job it was to make the products addictive. So they know what they're doing. They're doing it explicitly. They're using MRI brain imaging technology to make the products as addictive as possible. There was one consultant also out of Harvard he was he has a Harvard degree, a PhD in experimental psychology of marketing. And he devised this method for maximizing the amount of sugar, fat, salt in processed foods. You could max it out to the point where people would still buy it, maximum addictive properties in it. 
And he went around to all the corporations, and he's now worth $45 million to uh, reformulate their products. He's the one who put sugar into tomato sauce, for example, pasta sauce. Right. The, just the maximum amount that doesn't make it an unpleasant taste or something is what you're saying with that sugar, fat, salt formula, that secret formula. Yeah. yeah. And Michael Moss, even Michael Moss changed his mind. His first book, Sugar, Fat, Salt, he only uses the word addiction once. And it's a long book. He talks about the bliss point. But in his second book, which is called Hooked, he openly admits in the beginning, he said, I wasn't sure about addiction, but now I am. And the whole book is about these very deliberate things that the processed food companies do to create that hyperactive reward system in the brain, which is the what an addiction is. Right. And it's easy to kind of scoff at the the comment that you made about the smoker uh, would rather have their, their cigarettes and die sooner. But I, I suppose all of us have to uh, take a deep breath here and look in the mirror and wonder where we stand on that continuum, because we all are going to tout the uh, the desire to enjoy life, and it's so integrated in the culture that you know the hot fudge Sunday comes on your birthday. I talked on a few shows recently about the slice of cheesecake that I had on my birthday, and I enjoyed it so much, and it was wonderful. I don't eat it every day, but I wouldn't want to give that up because it's part of enjoying life. I don't want to be an ascetic all the way down the road. But where do we stand on this continuum where a lot of things in our shopping basket or in our daily habitual consumption could be categorized as uh, we're, we're addicts. So this is, I just love this question. You've gone right to the core of the recovery. And uh, Michael Moss in his recent book says that Americans are eating 67% of their calories in processed foods. And he also describes research showing that the taste of sugar, fat, salt in the mouth reaches the brain in half a second. There's a reaction in half a second, as opposed to any other drug, which can take up to 10 seconds or 10 minutes, because it's reaching the brain through the, the bloodstream. Okay, so we know these are highly addictive. We know that Americans are eating 67% of their calories in these substances, it's not food. The brain's not reacting to it as food. And we know that a million Americans die every two years from diet-related diseases. Okay, so this is serious. But what we don't generally recognize is that these substances, because they're hyperactivating reward brain cells, they're pulling the blood flow away from the frontal lobe. And so this is why you have these epidemics of attention deficit, learning difficulties, poor decision-making, poor impulse control, and loss of memory. That those, all those cells are in the frontal lobe and they're not getting enough blood supply to work. So part of the answer to your question is, we create, like in our services, we create awareness gradually. Okay, so it's not just how much fat tissue is on my body. It's all my cognitive functions, my executive functions. And then you look at things like unstable blood glucose and unstable cortisol and adrenaline. You look at the down regulation of the feel-good pathways in the brain. 
And you're like, okay, depression, irritability, anxiety, shame, chemically induced. So these are mood-altering substances. And then you look at inflammation. Okay, these, these substances are inflammatory. Your brain is inflamed, brain fog. Your gut is inflamed, irritable bowel syndrome. Your heart is inflamed, heart disease. Your reproductive system is inflamed, infertility and hormone dysregulation. Okay, so you've got, now you've got that list. Now you have some behavioral issues, sleep problems. Anger. <laughs> so so the, way you, the way you creep up on this is you, um, you tell the truth, you know, make mm. people fully aware of what the consequences are. Now a natural process can begin. And that natural process is a gradual awareness of the true, the full impact of these substances on the person. And when you get that and you start attaching, oh, oh, my skin rash happens after I eat processed foods. My feet hurt after I eat processed foods. My knees are killing me. I ate processed foods yesterday. Once you get those associations and it hurts, you start to associate the substances with pain. Mm. And then you develop a natural aversion to them. And it's something that we teach a lot in our programs is just to say with clarity in your mind, it's an affirmation. That makes me sick. Mm. That makes me sick. If I eat that, I'm going to be sick for two days and then I'm going to have cravings for two days. So when you can, when you gently and slowly and over a long period of time, train the brain to correctly associate the source of a pain, the brain will develop this natural aversion. And then you're not fighting it. You're just like, oh man, I don't want that. What if you don't feel those immediate dramatic consequences, which I'm speaking probably for a lot of people when they chow down that uh, scoop of ice cream on a, on a uh, hot summer night and it, it, it's a great uh, experience and they go home and maybe don't realize how their sleep is disrupted. Same with alcohol. I enjoy a glass or three or four of wine every evening and it doesn't harm my life one bit, says the uh, enjoyable drinker. But uh, how do we cross that, um, that, so that canyon to, to really acknowledge that <laughs> things could be better? Yeah, um, there's a great way to do this, which is to get off the stuff. And then see, come back. Let's talk in 30 days. I love it. Yeah. So this is, uh, we have a couple of lists um, on, on our public website. That uh, One is a list of excluded foods. And the other one is the list of uh, unprocessed foods. And uh, a lot of people uh, cannot do it. You know, they come straight up to it. It's like, okay, can you just eat off this list for a week? What? Mm. then you know you know that that is the ugly head of the addiction uh, mm. rearing up saying no we, we don't want to try this mm -mm, no we don't no i don't know if i have the guts to do i'm going to do it i'm going to give you my imitation of the addiction inside the head ready <laughs> no 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 we don't want to do that no we don't want to try that no we don't that's the addiction. That's the voice of the addiction. 
the soul of the person is like, try it. <laughs> Just, you know, get mm. this burden off of this person. Mm. Uh, but the addiction thing, no, no, we don't want to do that. So there are two voices going on in the head. There's the voice that's in the frontal lobe. Those brain cells are putting out uh, messaging. You can hear it. And it's like, that hurts. Uh, that that makes us hurt. That hurts us. That That's painful. But the frontal lobe is only 2% of the brain. Mm. You have 2,000 soldiers up here defending you. And then you've got 98,000 soldiers that have been co-opted by the by the food industry through this very intense messaging, highly addictive substances. It's, it's how you create an addiction in another person. It's kind of fun. I mean, I think it's really fun to get off the stuff and say, wow, I didn't know I had that pain behind my ear, but now I see that it's gone. So there's something called subconscious impairment where you just, it's, you're not aware of it because you've always had it. Let's talk about nootropics. These are supplements designed to improve cognitive function, memory, and creativity. And I'm taking three products from a company called New Optimal, N-U Optimal. The products are Metafocus, which promotes flow state and improves processing speed and mental clarity. It contains ingredients like phenylalanine, B12, ginkgo biloba. I'm taking Metamemory, which is good for memory retention, verbal fluency, reduced oxidative stress. Very important for the brain. This product has things like lion's mane, pine bark, and bacopa. And I'm taking Metadrive for motivation, stress resilience. It's got a little boost of caffeine in there, ashwagandha, rhodiola. They're wonderful products with a lot of scientific detail and easy to understand information on their website. So you get the big picture of what these products are all about, not just stuffing pills down your face, but how to do the stack as they call it strategically. You get a 16 page booklet that'll guide you to optimal use when you purchase. And guess what? 60 day money back guarantee and 30% discount from me. Listen, I'm not a coffee guy. I'm not a drug guy, but I'm always looking for any type of natural edge I can get, especially for cognition. So guess what? Let's avoid that sugary junk food. Let's get enough sleep. Take a power nap when you need one and consider trying some nootropics to see if you get a natural brain boost. So go visit newoptimal.com, N-U-O-P-T-I-M-A-L and enter the code BRAD30 to get 30% discount when you try it. Newoptimal.com for way more details. Right. I guess it would be a valuable exercise, if nothing else, to to see where you stand and see if you are indeed powerless uh, over these substances. Just like the, isn't that the first message of the uh, the twelve step recovery is to admit you're powerless? But I think a lot of us go around yapping and and telling a a pretty story that uh, sure I could uh, skip on my my ice cream shopping habit anytime I want, but I, I just enjoy it. And, and so it doesn't hurt me that much or whatever the rationalization is, but it'd be nice to do that little exercise to say, okay, champ, um, here's a hundred bucks. <laughs> the BRAD podcast is offering any listener a hundred bucks to, to cut out all the addictive and processed foods for 30 days and, and see how you can measure up. And it is, it is, it is telling uh, I, I, we had a mother once who just thought she'd never get her kids to come around. So this is the deal she made with them. 
We're going to eat healthy from Sunday through Friday. On Saturday, you can have whatever you want. So the first Saturday, uh, they sat down, they ate, ate a bunch of sugar and dairy and other things, and they were sick. And then the next Saturday, they sat down and they ate a bunch of dairy and flour and gluten and excessive salt, and they were sick. The third Saturday, it didn't come up. <sighs> Not interested. Didn't even come up. I had a similar experience with my own kids. They were 11 and 12 when I started on this. And uh, my therapist at the time gave me these four rules. Don't You can't bring it in the house anymore. You can't eat it in front of me. Uh, I'm not going to take you to buy it, and I'm not going to pay for it. So a combination of enabling and not queuing. So I started, I started this whole little once-a-day routine where I would cook all of our proteins and starches for the week. And um, they, whenever they left the house, they had enough food until I would see them again. So that was in January. February goes by, March goes by. March, we have a spring break, 10 days. We're going to be in the car together, eating together for 10 days. And so they can't eat it. They don't eat it. They get all the way cleaned out. They, and they didn't tell me this until years later. They go back to school and there's the bad stuff at school. They, they have their own allowance. They said, I don't know what you're going to do at school, but you have enough food. Clean food. Well, they told me that when they got back from that 10 days and they ate the stuff, their noses swelled up and they were asleep, falling asleep at their desk and they were irritable. Nobody wanted to be around them and in trouble with the teachers for not being able to pay attention. And they just said, Mom, it wasn't worth it. Um, my daughter, uh, when she was about 14, got in the car one day, uh, picking up from school. And she said, Mom, there was this, there's cookies on the table, and it was a pool party, and I just, I ate two of them. And now I'm so irritable. I can't stand myself. You just let them have these painful experiences. People say, oh, no, I'm not going to try to control my kids. Absolutely not. Don't try to control your kids. Uh, just give them some, oh, you know, that was could have been caused by this. Like when my mm -hmm. daughter said that, I said, oh, I'm so sorry that happened. I know about cravings. Mm -hmm. I know about losing control. I know about eating something that you don't want to be eating. And then suffering. That's, that's basically the profile of an addiction. So you don't have to control your kids. Just control the environment at home. Love it. Very well said. And for those of us with free choice and making our own consumption decisions, I'm wondering, is there a threshold where you can enjoy things now and then or have what might be called, you know, more, uh, more participation in mainstream culture? Or are we talking about a zero tolerance policy for processed sugar, industrial seed oils, things like that? People come to their own place. Mm. So they come to their own place. We give people a lot of education, support, clarity, awareness, and then they have to decide for themselves. So if my, uh, I'm no longer married, but if my mother-in-law had come to my house 
and or invited me to her house and she had made something special just for me even though maybe I asked her not to do that uh, I am the only person who can decide whether I would like to open up World War III by not eating it mm. or suffer for four days with a headache by eating it I'm the only one who can decide that there are uh, it's it's what you're saying there are mainstream rituals that involve processed foods, all mainstream uh, involve processed foods. So how do you get ready? We, we actually train our people to uh, on how to get ready for an event like that, how to email the host and ask what's going to be served, how to email a host you just know can't handle it and say, you know, I'm working with the program now my I, on allergies, like just something like that. You say, I will bring my own food. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, but you just you learn how to judge situations. What food is going to be there? How tempting is it going to be? How much is, are the addicted brain cells going to be agitated to the point where I lose control and eat something I don't want to eat? These, th- these are massive skill sets. I, I'm going to agree with you. If this is not. It's easy once you have the the hang of it. Like it's easy to swim once you learn how to swim. You have to learn how to swim. It's easy to go to a social event once you've been trained on how to recognize when the cues are building up and the triggering is building up. How just to step outside and walk around the block or get your support system on your cell phone. It's all strategies and training. It's brain training. Well, I love that uh, that that strategy out of the gate to acknowledge and admit to yourself that these are addictive, inflammatory, nutrient deficient foods that not only inflict long term disease risk upon your being, but also the short term consequences that may be under your level of awareness, perception, such as your angry outbursts that you talked about, you mm-hmm. probably blame those on the actions of the people that you were angry at until uh, you, you had that two-week period where it's like, wow, I haven't yelled at anybody, even though they've done the same old, run their same old number that they, they always have. Oh my goodness, that's, what a what a revelation. But that's, that's exactly right. That's exa- what you just said is exactly right. It was all justified. All the yelling, the criticism was all justified until that moment. It's terrible because it is subconscious. The medical community is not trained in this. And they are really some sometimes like just this new book, Metabolical by Rob Lustig. He just describes how the medical industry was created as the marketing arm for the pharmaceutical industry that is the origins of the medical system uh, the dietitians are the marketing arm the professional arm of the processed food industry 40 percent of dietitians work for the processed food industry when you go to their conferences the biggest pavilion in the middle of the floor is craft 
and the list goes right next to it. <laughs> it reminds so, me of uh, I went to a college recruiting night with my daughter when she was of age, and we walk into the gym, and, and front and center dominating the, the middle row of the gym is the Army with these super cool backpacks that they're handing out to every kid within arm's reach. And then you go over in the corner, and you see the, the four-by-six card table that's folded up by the representative from UC Berkeley or uh, the, you know, the, the nearby Cal State University, Sacramento, whatever, but you can't, you know, you can't touch these guys handing out uh, an $18 backpack when you're, you're talking about a flyer at the small table. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this is, it's just, it's a, it's a huge field. It's uh, emerging all the time. The research is, I mean, here's the textbook for the field. There are 2000 studies. This textbook is built on 2000 studies. It's, the debate about whether it's there is over. The big challenge now is to gesundheit, uh, is to uh, is awareness. Now, this isn't an eating disorder, and it's not a weight loss program, mm. and it's not childhood issues, and it's you have to deal with childhood issues, but it's not self sabotage. It's not genetic. It's uh, it's an addiction. It's a substance dependence issue, and then you choose to change all of your focus right to these addicted reward center cells, and you and th- that's the main key thing is that you're keeping those cells from erupting and releasing so much neurotrans craving neurotransmitter that that those cells are controlling behavior. It's a competition between the frontal lobe and the addicted mm-hmm. cells, and you want your frontal lobe to start winning. Wow, well said. I think that's the the, the poll quote of the episode right there. That competition, that battle, and I think yeah. we're all familiar with those voices talking to each other on on one shoulder or the other, including mm-hmm. that voice that says, "You know what? I'm deserving. I've had a rough, busy, stressful day, and now I'm going to sit down and stick my hand to this bowl of popcorn because I'm a, I'm a deserving individual. I need to relax and uh, whatever the um, whatever the message, the story is." Yeah, yeah. So we know that the stress. Uh, brain cells are very closely entwined with the addicted brain cells. So people, stress eating does not exist. Stress eating, stress activates the addicted brain cells, and then you're eating addictively. Uh, emotional eating doesn't exist. Like if you look up in the diagnostic manual for addictions, you don't see like emotional alcohol use, or you don't see... Um, you know, stress, cocaine, snorting. It's because those are clear. They are substance use disorders. And they know that the actually the emotional and the stress come from the addiction. Oh, oh. The other way around. Yeah. Uh, would, Would also the addictions present themselves when your emotions and stress levels are high. So it's just a, it's a continuous uh-huh. circle. It doesn't have to be one mm-hmm. before the other. It's a cycle. The right. stress activates the addiction and then the addiction activates the stress. It's nasty. It's really nasty. And people will experience it in the, in the advanced stages of it. You have these conversations inside the head. It's like, oh, I'd really like to eat that. No, I'm not going to eat that. But okay, well, I'll just eat this one. Oh my God, I ate the whole box. Now I have to go to the grocery store. Well, I'll get three boxes. I'll put two in the laundry room and I'll eat the other and put the other one back. And then, oh my God, I hate myself. I hope nobody sees me. 
just, this is a constant stream of thinking in the head of somebody who's got this addiction in the advanced stages. Well, I also like that this is a line from your your bio information where you're saying that it's 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 really not your fault uh, yeah. rather than a a moral or emotional weakness mm-hmm. that you continue to mm-hmm. see these foods showing up in your shopping cart in your cupboard. Um, it's just a a result uh, of addiction um, mm-hmm. strongly driven by the big food machines, which brings me mm-hmm. to a question where you're, you're saying the awareness is out there now, the science, you have 200 references in your book, uh, but we're fighting a, a mighty beast with a lot more money than the nonprofit food advocacy group. So where do you see this thing playing out? I mean, tobacco essentially has been taken down pretty successfully, at least in our country. Now I'm sure the tobacco companies are, are rising their profits in the, in the developing countries that haven't caught up. But where do you see this food war playing out between the individual uh, well-meaning consumer and the giant food conglomerates? Well, this is where you come in. This is so arresting. It, it, it's almost like once you hear this information, you start to, the whole world starts to make sense. So honestly, people like you are going to get it out there. There is a whole communication system that's not controlled by big mm. media. Big media is totally dependent on the process of manufacturers for advertising revenue. So you just like, you can look at the one fad after another, after another promoted by media, they all make food addiction worse. Mm. All of those fads make food addiction worse. Um, and you just, like I am going to a conference. I'm going to Low Carb USA in a month or so. Practitioners are showing up at those conferences. They're well, they're watching this. We've got a, a couple of doctors who are working with us. And how do we integrate this with our practices? We now have a system. That was the other place where my MBA came in handy. We have a system. Uh, it's called immersion recovery. So we've been immersed in the food industry for our whole lives. Now we can be immersed in recovery. How did the food industry get us addicted? A lot of it was messaging because 98% of the brain automatically stores whatever it hears. It doesn't have a filter. It was developed in a time when everything was true. Mm. We didn't have language, so nobody could deceive you. If that was a tree, that was a tree. It wasn't a fake tree, you know. So this part, the 90, 98% of the brain, it's been evolving over 7 million years. The primitive brain, 7 million years. The midbrain, 3.5 million years. The frontal lobe, 200,000 years. Hmm. Tiny. It doesn't get any control over the rest of the brain. But what it can do is it can control the messaging that reaches the rest of the brain. So that's where we come in. We have an online community, the Addiction Reset Community, the ARC. And that's what we do. We, we over Zoom, we have 15 hours a day of positive, live messaging. You have control. You have power. Uh, this food really does make you sick. And so we're gradually replacing the, oh, this is really fun. And look, everybody's eating it. And uh, no, 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 those diseases are caused by something else. That messaging is how we got sick, and positive recovery messaging is how we're making people well. 
So we now are training peer support people and giving them a job. So the fees, we have a system now where the fees that are paid for the recovery program, the addiction reset community, go to, most of them go to a manager. And so as people recover from this, this is a devastating disease. As people are recovering from the disease, they can train and become a peer support manager and earn an income. So that was that's a business model. That's, I never heard it anywhere else, but it's mm. a business model. And I do in my, I'll tell you this, I don't tell very many people this, but I'll tell you this. I graduated from college in 1974. Everybody wanted to be a lawyer. We'd had the civil rights movement. We'd had the anti-war movement. They were successful. Everybody wanted to be on the right side and become a lawyer. So they all went to law school. Law schools were packed. They all graduated and there weren't enough jobs for them. Mm. So what did they do? They just started their own practices. They went around and told people their rights. Mm. You have a right to sue. That's what the courts are for. And they, they've been criticized. Now we're a litigious society. We sue for everything. Yeah, but guess what? A lot of people aren't doing bad things anymore because they know they're going to be sued for it. So my idea is to train hundreds of thousands of processed food recovery advocates, and then uh, then the society will change. That's my plan. Do you have a community going right now? You reference the community. Is there a website? We, we can skip to, we, we usually will have you say goodbye with all your contacts, but what website are we, are we talking about here? Processedfoodaddiction.com. Oh, okay. That's easy. Yeah. Processedfoodaddiction.com. We have all of our services there. We have our basic community. We have a lot of free stuff. I think the, the thing that will interest your listeners the most is we have a self-quiz. Mm. It's the same 11 questions that a doctor would ask to discover alcoholism. Mm. There are 11 questions, and I can run through them for you. Dang, let's hit those. I, I can't mm. wait. I mean, no, uh, just this uh, fair <laughs> warning, six or more is an indication of a severe Ooh, addiction. Okay, the majority rules. Yeah. So six this out of 11. Well, Ready, I listeners? Know. Don't don't cheat now. Answer honestly. Here goes. Dr. Jones is going to hit us right now in the middle of the show. Okay. Unintended use is number one. You wake up, you say, I'm not I'm going to eat well today. Mm. You're not eating well by the end of the day. Mm. You are going to go straight home, but instead you stop. Convenience for store, grocery store, fast food. You are going to just eat one, but you eat the box. You eat, that's all unintended use. Number two, failure to cut back. And we know that nine is over 70% of Americans are experiencing this because they're overweight or obese and I'm sure they don't want to be. Failure to cut back. You lose the weight, you regain it. You want to lose the weight, you can't. You want to stop eating something. Your doctor has said, you know, cut back on your salt or stop eating these refined carbohydrates and you just can't. Number three, time spent so you uh are you're just you find yourself that you're thinking about it a lot mm. you're planning for it you're going to get it you're eating it you're sleeping it off you're waking up and then you're doing it again number four cravings 
a lot of people don't know they have cravings because they've had them since they were small children. These vicious people at the food industry are, they will put 50% sugar in baby formula. Sugar is more destructive and addictive than cocaine. We've got three different really good studies showing it's worse, more destructive. It will do more brain alteration than cocaine. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, I was 44 years old before I knew I had cravings. And I didn't know until January 4th, 1996. I'm sitting at my desk. I am four days off of sugar and flour. And I go from breakfast to lunch without thinking about food for the first time in my life. Mm. Cravings. If you're thinking about processed foods and you're not hungry or it's between meals, that's a craving. Uh, number five, uh, failure to fulfill roles. So you know that if you didn't have brain fog, you'd go for that promotion. Or if you could get down on, your, on the floor with your kids, you would. Or if you weren't craving so hard, you would go to bed with your spouse instead of waiting until they go to bed so you can go get something out of the laundry room. And the next one is relationship problems. Somebody wants you to stop, you can't stop. Somebody's criticizing you uh, for your body shape, you can't, can't fix it. Um, you're, you're not connected because you're craving so hard and your brain falls so hard, you really can't look at another person and figure out what to do for them. And then there's um, activities lost. So you're just not going to things anymore. You're too tired. You're too brain fogged. You're too depressed. You're too ashamed of your body shape. And you just start putting out activities. The next one is hazardous use. So that you just think, oh, that's drunk driving. We don't do that. Yes, we do. People can eat enough processed foods that they are numbed out. They're not seeing. There is such a thing as blackout eating. Uh, there's pulling out of the fast food place, driving with your elbow while you're eating. Uh, so there is hazardous use, hazardous use for sure. Then there's uh, eating in spite of knowledge of consequences. That is a number one. Everybody does that. Number two is uh, eating more than you used to. Almost everybody does that. Number And then the last one is eating for reasons other than hunger. So you are angry or you're tired or you're depressed or you're, you're stressed. That's drug use. That's not food use. Everybody does that, I would argue, as well. So this was so, a tough quiz because we got preloaded with three yeses and all we need is six to be qualified as a, as a food addict. Um, boy, that's a, that's a real eye-opener. Yeah. I love that quiz. The thing, so I've given this quiz to hundreds of people and the, the six that really pop up are used in spite of knowledge of consequences, eating mm -hmm. more than we used to, um, eating for reasons other than hunger. And then it's the first, Four. Almost everybody has all four. I tried to cut back and failed. I eat more than I intended to. I'm spending a lot of time at this and I have cravings. So it's uh if you if you believe that statistic, the Michael Moss statistic, Americans are eating 67% of their calories in these highly addictive substances, then you would expect to see that. It's the thing that the book really showed me. 
everything that you would expect to see if this was an epidemic of severe addiction is there. It all lines up. Now, let's say I'm, uh, I'm fully bought in. I've been on a healthy path for many years and I really love my 85% or higher dark chocolate that I tend to consume a lot of and look for different brands around the world and become a common connoisseur, just like a, someone who enjoys wine and orders from the wine club and, and mm-hmm. sources the best products. Um, mm-hmm. Could those possibly uh, land somewhere, even though they're widely regarded as healthy and non-damaging, um, can we, can we kind of transfer these addictions to healthy eating or is this uh, outside of the scientific realm? Well, this, this is really a, such an excellent question. There are quite a few reasons why processed food addiction recovery is much, much harder. Mm. And I don't want to discourage anybody because now we have a program. You know, over these 25 years, they finally figured out what does it take. And we have a way to make it easy. But one of the things about processed food addiction, it's the only addiction recovery where you're actually getting off the substances. Every other addiction recovery program, I don't care what the drug or the behavior is, transfers the addiction to processed foods. Oh, mercy. Yeah, the, um, the, the, the cigarette butts outside of the, the AA meeting littering the parking lot and the, um, the, the coffee being drunk like it's going out of style. And all, the cookies, and all the cakes there and all right, the, all the service. The yeah. So, so it's the dumping really, ground so, for it, It's like the, um, the welcome uh, dumping ground. We welcome all addicts to, to come in and uh, switch so we can make more money off you. Well, yeah, the staff doesn't want them to get off processed foods because then the staff would have to deal with somebody who's just in the first couple of days of not being ever numbed out on anything. And we're we're all ready to deal with that. We're ready to, it's all virtual. Our whole program is just online. But just that eye-to-eye contact, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. Just come in and sit with us. We've got 15 hours of programming, and then we got lots of tapes. You can fill in the rest of the hours. We're just about to move to 24 hours. We're all around the world. The tobacco companies have the advertising and the distribution relationships all over the world which is why this became a global epidemic so fast, 20 years, nothing. So um, now we do have a really big answer and it is just connect with somebody else. There are parts of the body that are working just fine. They haven't been worn out by the addiction and there are the parts of our well-being that thrive in connection with other people. And this is hard because uh, this is an addiction that isolates people. You do. You get a body shape that is rejected by culture. Uh, You're too tired and depressed and brain fog to do anything other than, you know, watch the food channel. And so there's uh, there are a lot of skills. It's just the skills of being liked by everybody. Uh, these are the kids that were on the edge of the playground being rejected by their peers. So it, just getting used to being liked and accepted and celebrated and admired. It's a whole skill set, relationship enhancement. It's fun, though. I got to tell you, it is super, super fun. 
people have been told that you, you're you're never going to be out of pain, and then they're out of pain. Mm, right. Or your stomach is never going to repair, and then the stomach repairs. You're never going to be clear of this depression. It's lifetime. Your parents had it. Your grandparents had it. And then, boom, it's gone. It's actually a lot of fun. Yeah, it happens every day. It's not too hard to see those stories. There's thousands of success stories literally published at marksdailyapple.com over at MeetRx. There are people talking about the um, freedom from the uh, conditions caused by the plant toxins that seemingly were healthy foods. So all kinds of people cleaning up their diet and, and miracle healing, really. You can't say, can't say too much about that. Now, when we're talking about the actual uh, categorization of which foods are a processed addictive category versus those which are thumbs up and healthy, um, can you give us any guidance there? Because yeah. I feel yeah. like there's some, there's some in-between stuff where, you know, the, the power bar company, I used to chow those things when I was a racing athlete and they by and large have created a brand that is aligned with healthy athletic lifestyle. But uh, in, upon reflection, this is a heavily processed product that's devoid of anything, you know, really healthier in its natural state. And yeah. you might want to throw that in there in the potato chips category, but where, where oh, do you yeah. stand on all that? So um, there is a chapter in the book on food plans and everything that I do uh, is standing on a study. So if somebody gets upset about it, I just like <laughs> step out of the way. Right. Here's the evidence. You can, you can do with it what works for you. Um, so when I say I have evidence, I mean, I have a study typically or um, people have just told me they've lost control over the food. Any kind of a sweetener. And people are mm. so sensitized now. They're so sensitive that even high sugar fruits can set off cravings and mm. loss of control. Flour uh, that's been, anything, and a carbohydrate that's been ground to a powder. You think, well, like, why is cocaine sold as a powder? Because you can absorb it quickly enough in a concentrated way to get those reward cells, those addictive reward cells, to release a flood. It's just a, a lot of stimulation, a flood of neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, cannabinoids, opiates. It's a vicious addiction also because it addicts all of the reward centers. And then you have uh, excessive salt. Mm. Great study uh, by Mark Gold at University of Florida, where he's watching morphine uh, addicted people come in to recover. What do they do when they sit down at the table? They take the lid off the salt and just pour it on their food. Because, oh, they're replacing some action from morphine with excessive salt. And there's another study saying, yes, it meets the same criteria that we just talked about. Uh, gluten. Gluten and dairy, they both contain naturally occurring morphine. Gluteomorphine, casomorphine, these are identified substances. And when you concentrate the gluten uh, by stripping out the bran and the fiber, turning it into a powder, it's very uh, mood altering. Casomorphine, there are four different kinds of casomorphine in cow dairy. It is a substance that is specifically designed by nature to put a baby cow to sleep. Mm. 
so that that baby cow will absorb nutrients. It's a narcotic. It's, if, if it's strong enough to put a 100-pound animal to sleep, you can imagine what it's doing to us. Plus, we have some good research showing, uh, not, not surprisingly, that cow milk turns on a weight gain gene. They want that baby cow to gain weight. It turns on a weight gain gene, an acne gene, and a prostate cancer gene. It's great research done by uh, Melnick in Germany. And then there's caffeine, processed mm. fats. Processed fats activate the same pathways as cannabis. Mm. And uh, then there's caffeine and food additives. So the FDA is kind of occupied by the agriculture food industries. And they're, they're not really equipped to monitor what goes into food. And it's, it's not on the label. So any, I love what Marion Nestle at New York University says. If it has the label, it's a warning label. <laughs> we'll call it a warning label instead of a nutrition facts label from now on. Celery doesn't have a label. So yeah, so those, those are the categories for which we have good evidence. Food addicted people also don't tolerate nuts very well. Mm -hmm. It's that repeat hand to mouth, they just lose control, very high fat, often with sugar, altered fat from roasting. And I do have one study showing that uh, nuts are high in tryptophan, which does convert to serotonin. So that's pretty good evidence. Yeah. Right. And I, I you made that quick comment about uh, even the, um, the, the sweet fruits can cause a problem. And so what we're talking about is this baseline of massive consumption of processed foods, 67%, as you referenced, Dr. Lauren Cordain, Paleo Diet, uh, references 71% of all uh, modern calories are from foods that were entirely absent during evolutionary times, Paleolithic times. So we're talking about two-thirds of the food going down the throat is, yeah. uh, is highly processed. Then when you reach for an innocent uh, handful of berries, uh, fresh summer berries, which by and large are have, have a lot of health properties and minimal ejections, but not when you're already consuming 300 grams of carbohydrates per day in process form, then it's just adding insult to injury. So the, the yeah. cleanup process has to start and be not just the, the living room or the shelves in the garage, but every nook and cranny. And then we can have another conversation about you having a handful of berries once you're uh, eating a, a natural and nutrient dense diet. Mm -hmm, exactly. It's really the tropical fruits like uh, bananas, guava, papaya, and then uh, cherries, grapes, the really, really high sugar fruits. And, and this is another thing. People say, well, can I eat this? And like, try it. We have a whole process mm. called totters. Try, observe, mm -hmm. come in and talk about it. Mm. Figure out your tweaks, repeat slowly, totters. And that, we don't want to, uh, somebody said to me once, like, I don't want to be paying attention to the food industry anymore. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. So we do a lot of training. And here's a technique where you, that you can use so that you can tell for yourself what's working for you. You know, like, you, can I, could I eat this protein bar? 
well, why don't you just try to be really clean for a week and then try it in isolation and watch yourself for the next four days. It's a four-day withdrawal. You might not get cravings the next day or the next day. A lot of people don't get cravings until the third day, the fourth day. You might not get a headache the first day. It might be the second day. Uh, and on the other hand, you might eat that protein bar and totally pass out. Just, I have to go lie down now. You might get that kind of a surge. Everybody's reactions are individualistic. So the training is, how do you identify that you're having a food reaction? Whew. Dr. Jones, so much to think about here. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's helping us put the pieces together when we acquire all that that basic knowledge about what's healthy and what's not, but we're, we don't know what's lurking behind the shadows and, yeah. and the, the the marketing and the manipulative advertising and the manip- manipulative government information is stuff that's, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it doesn't hurt to uh, to expose it. So you're doing great work. Keep it Thank up. Uh, processfoodaddiction.com. We can also follow you at drjoanifland.com and any other uh, tidbits you, you want know, to mention for people. A lot of people love our Facebook group, Food Addiction Education. Hmm. The best way to get started with us is to go to processfoodaddiction.com and take the self-quiz. You'll get an email with your results and an invitation to a, a free workshop. And there we'll just go over... You know, what does it mean to know that it's not your fault? What does it mm. mean to know that you've had all these diseases and that they could go away? Mm. It is a lot to think about. And I'm very grateful to you for getting the word out there. It means a lot. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work, Dr. Joan. Thank you for listening, everybody. That is a wrap on a powerful show. da 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 Hey folks, how about a non-drinker telling you what kind of alcohol you should drink? That's right, it's pseudo-sommelier Brad Kearns here to recommend dry farm wines. Why? Because if you choose to drink, I want you to be healthy and make a superior choice to the mainstream commercial wines. Listen to my podcast with Dry Farm Wines founder Todd White. The insights were astonishing, especially that most all commercial wines are loaded with dozens of chemicals that the FDA allows in your wine but don't have to be listed on the label. And the sugar, oh my goodness, the sugar levels can be as much or more per liter than Coca-Cola but difficult to taste due to the acidity in the wine. Dry Farm Wines is a membership club where you're shipped hand-picked wines from old-world family-run vineyards in France, Italy, Greece, and Sicily. These wines come from non-irrigated vineyards hundreds of years old that deliver a tastier, higher antioxidant grape, and they're independent lab certified to be completely free from chemical additives and naturally 100% sugar-free. That's right, the sugar was allowed to ferment out instead of be arrested by chemical intervention in the name of pleasing the average consumer palate that has a sweet tooth. The Dry Farm Wines Club has taken off like crazy because ancestral and keto enthusiasts, people who care about their health, appreciate a sugar-free wine. You'll enjoy the variety, the taste, and the pleasant sensation in the aftermath of burning through the alcohol buzz and going on with your life without a hangover. So if you 
care about your carb intake and your overall health, Dry Farm Wines has a special promotion for podcast listeners. Get your first bottle for a penny when you enroll at dryfarmwines.com slash brad or click on the Dry Farm Wines at the bradkerns.com shopping page. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkerns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.